If you can take your Bibles, if you have them with you, and there's some on the the pews also, uh, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10, verses 28 through 34. And I want to encourage you just to stand for the reading of God's word, Mark 10. If you're uh, picking up a pew Bible from the pews, that's going to be page... 846. Mark 10, and we're going to pick it up in verse 28. Remember the context. We've been working through this passage now several weeks. Uh, A rich man had everything in life from a world's point of view, went to Jesus to be justified, affirmed, thought he was on the right path, and Jesus invited the young man to sell everything he had, and then to follow him. And the man walked away. That's the context. The man walked away from Jesus. I I think that is the most tragic possibility with one's life, is to walk away. And then we pick it up in verse 28. Peter, after hearing Jesus teach, after the man walked away, Peter began to say to Jesus, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly, I say to to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now In this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life, but many who are first will be last and the last first. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. They will condemn him to death, deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. But after three days... He will rise. Father, we ask in Jesus' name for our minds and hearts to be opened this morning to your word. We thank you, Lord, that in the name of Jesus that we have an anointing through the Spirit to understand, and we ask for that anointing this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the world is full of stories of people who have lived life and they get to their older years and realize that all the energies and the passions that they poured into this life, this one life, this gift that God has given 
had turned out to be emptiness and a waste. So many of us know those who've retired, perhaps, and looking forward to that time, and then, then after the busyness of a career, they get to that place of retirement, and there's just this aching emptiness inside because they realize that, that somehow they missed something vitally important. Or perhaps you and I know people who have devoted themselves to an addiction or some kind of a hobby or, or something that, that they thought had value at the time but was slowly undermining the most important thing that they can possibly have in their life, to know Christ and to follow him. It doesn't take much time, if you give it thought, to see how the things that can capture our hearts today have no value tomorrow. Why is it so difficult for us to see that? Why is it so difficult for us to see that the way we use our time, the things we count as valuable and important, may one day have absolutely no meaning? The writer of Ecclesiastes puts it this way, and here's a man we believe was King Solomon who amassed more wealth than probably any other man in the history of mankind, had a greatest army, properties, 600 wives and 300 concubines. I don't know about that. Who would want that? That was good news, I guess, if you were a king in those days. But what did he write at the end of his life? These three words. Meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. When we take God out of things, a meaninglessness creeps into our lives and a sense of regret that we could have used our lives differently. In our text this morning, we have the Apostle Peter who in Mark 10.20 makes a simple statement. Remember again the context. Peter and the disciples had just seen a rich young ruler walk away from Jesus. To this, Peter responds, See, Jesus we have left everything and followed you. What was Peter really getting at here? Well, I was thinking about this for some time, and I came up with three possibilities. First, he may have simply been asking, is it worth it? We've left everything to follow you, Jesus. Is it worth the sacrifice? Remember, when Jesus invited Peter and most of the disciples to follow him, they, they dropped everything. They dropped their fishing nets, their fishing businesses. They walked away from their homes, their family, and now they've been walking with Jesus three years. And as they see this young, rich man walk away from Jesus, no doubt thinking, hey, he's going back to comfort. He's going back to ease. Perhaps Peter is just saying, is it worth it? Another possibility behind Peter's statement is spiritual pride. Maybe he was thinking something like this. Look, Jesus, we're not like that rich young ruler who just walked away from you because, from, 
and back to his home and family. But we left it all. Doesn't that make us better? Jesus, you see all the sacrifices we're making? Tell us that in the end it means something. Well, then there's a final possible meaning behind Peter's statement. It comes from a twinge of envy or self-pity. When looking at the rich man walk away, knowing that the man was walking back to comfort and ease, maybe they thought, Peter himself thought, well, you know, I want a more comfortable life. I want a better life. Whatever was behind Peter's response here, Jesus' answer in the following verses addresses all possible concerns and ultimately points out to us that, yes, 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 it's worth following me. It's worth it. In Mark 10, 29, 30-34, we discover some promises from God that can help us with this question. Is it worth following Jesus? yes. And Jesus says a hundredfold. That's a lot. That's a hundred times. So I want us to see two basic truths here in this text. First, let's be honest. It's not always easy following Jesus. Amen to that? I mean, let's get that off the table. This is not a prosperity preaching church. We believe in the cross and sacrifice. And I'll tell you what, when you begin to follow Jesus, sometimes things get not only difficult, very difficult. And some of us have experienced that. So if you think Jesus is going to take all your problems away, wrong gospel, wrong church. But then there's this second truth. Is it worth it? Absolutely. 100%, 100 not only in this life, Jesus says, there's going to be rewards, and we'll look at those, but also the life to come. So let's look at these truths together. First, the challenges. Let's get the difficulty out of the way here. The challenges and sacrifices in following Jesus. Jesus reminds, not only reminds his disciples that he would make a supreme sacrifice by going to the cross. Remember, that's how our passage ends this morning. But when we choose to follow him, we read in Mark 10, 29, that on some level we'll be asked to put our homes, our families, our businesses under his lordship. That's what it at the very least means. Truly, I say to you, there's no one who has left houses, brothers, sisters, mother, father, children, or lands for my sake. At the very least, it means putting those things second. One of the most basic Things here is Jesus inviting us to make him Lord over all, to put all things subject to him. That is what Jesus is getting at here. Our affections must make him the priority. Jesus must be first. We must seek his kingdom first. There must be no other thing before him. That's really one of the first commandments. Have no other gods before you. But for some, and I believe this is the disciples and even some here this morning, some are uniquely called and sent to proclaim the gospel and need to be willing to walk away from everything. 
Earlier in Mark 8.34, Jesus puts it this way, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a, a German pastor and theologian, understood this. He was imprisoned and died at the hands of of the Nazis during World War II in opposition, open opposition to Hitler. He wrote this from prison before his execution. When Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. When Christ calls a man, he bids him to come to die. Another theologian put it this way, there is no crossless Christianity. Perhaps the saddest commentary on our own culture, really, in the state of the church in America, is how many TV evangelists and pastors are calling people to a Christianity without a cross. Instead of reminders of our call to sacrifice, when we follow Jesus, we have reminders of fulfilled dreams, prosperity, healing, and self-comfort. Richard Niebuhr, who was a professor at Yale Divinity School in the 1930s, wrote a warning about such a time in America in a book called The Kingdom of God in America. He left this short poem, listen. A God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministry of Christ without a cross. Niebuhr was warning church leaders, you cannot remove the cross from Christianity. When you do that, you do an irreparable harm and take away its central message of salvation to men, sinful men. We don't like the concepts of sin. We don't like judgment. We don't like sacrifice. But those are the doctrines that are key to the Bible, what it teaches. And Peter gives opportunity here in his one statement for Jesus to remind us there will be a cross. And you know, Jesus is our primary example. It would make sense if if Christ is asking us to follow him that he would show us the way. And that's exactly what he does. In Mark 10, and 34, he reminds that the Son of Man will be delivered, condemned to death, mocked, flogged, killed, but will rise three days later. Again, Jesus and the disciples on their way to Jerusalem. This is their last trip. This is the third time in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus reminds the disciples that he would go to a cross. And that the central to this gospel message, this good news message, would be the cross. And there's so many verses in the gospels that the disciples did not like this idea. They wanted another story. And in Matthew 16, remember when Jesus explains this? Peter, what does he do? Never, Lord. (laughs) You're never going to the cross. I'll protect you. 
Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You do not have the things of God in man, but the thing, things of God in mind, but the things of man. Remember when Jesus, when Peter was in the garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus is about to be arrested and delivered into the hands of those who would ultimately crucify him? What does Peter do? He has a sword with him, takes out his sword, cuts off a servant's ear to protect Jesus. You see, they did not envision this cross. They wanted another story where there'd be prosperity, that Jesus as king would oust the oppressive Roman government and restore the glory of Israel and give them status, wealth, and control. And we know that because right after this passage, we have the sons of Zebedee, two disciples and their mom, who goes to Jesus and asks that, that they'd have a privileged position in his kingdom at the right and left, and they had no idea what they were really asking for because they had an idea of Christianity without a cross. They didn't understand that our call to follow Jesus would include sacrifice, humility, servanthood. They didn't understand that without a cross, there'd be no redemption and salvation. Without a cross, we'd have no way as sinners to approach a holy God. The cross was central to God's plan. Christ shed blood, and now we're to follow in his steps. But maybe like Peter... Many of us are going along the way in life, and maybe we're asking at this juncture, is it worth it? I thought life was going to be a little bit easier. Maybe you've been following Jesus for a while, and like Peter, life just, just simply isn't getting better. Maybe instead of prosperity and comfort, you're experiencing difficulties, trials, and tribulations. Instead of ease and status, there's a call to sacrifice. Where is Jesus in all of that? Well, Jesus proceeds. Mark 10, verses 30 and 31, where he reminds us that it's not only worth it now, but it'll be worth it in the future as well. That God will reward us many, many times if we invest our lives in following him. A reward hundreds of times better than anything that we would give up. So let's look at the rewards and promises in following Jesus. In Mark 10, verses 30 and 31, Jesus tells us that we're willing to put him first, willing, willing to endure persecution for his sake. He will reward us 100-fold. 100-fold. That's a pretty good return on your investment. Anyone investing here? Money people here? I mean, if you're a stock market guy, you're thrilled to bits if you're getting 10% over 10 years on your return, correct? Isn't that what the thing is? Any of you invest? Not too many of us are investors. I'm not. But that I heard. Hundredfold? <laughs> Ooh, I like that. Now, here's the interesting thing about the verse. Jesus not only tells them they would have eternal life when we follow him, but he says, in this time also. What in the world is he getting at? I mean, I understand, you know, in eternity, yes, 
hundredfold. But what's he getting at in this time? How, does the reward, how do we get a reward when we follow Jesus? I believe that this relates with the fruit we see as we invest in the things of God and earth. I believe the reward based on my own experience is twofold. First is the inner life, the inner life. Oh, the peace of following Jesus. Some of us know that peace, right? Sometimes the wheels can be coming off, and Jesus is right there giving peace, a sense of his presence. And then there's just tremendous amount of wisdom in investing ourselves in the word of God and following him so that we have a perspective at life, no matter what may come. And so one of the things, one of the rewards is certainly the inner life. But then there's also the reward of our impact on lives around us. Jesus helps us in John 15 by telling us that he's the vine, we're the branches, every branch that abides in him will bear much fruit. He's talking about lives transformed within to impact people without. When my wife and I first went to India to serve the Lord as missionaries, our families thought we were out of our minds. My father would often say, why not? This was, he not only said in his letters, but he would say it every time I come home. Why not Hawaii? I'll come visit you in Hawaii. But India? Not going there. My father-in-law, who was pragmatic, person thought that when Diane and I were there, it was like a short-term commitment, kind of like serving in the Peace Corps for a couple years. And then one year went to two years, and three years went to four years, and it kept on going and going and going. And he thought we were just simply impractical about the whole thing. And to some degree, he was correct if you look at it from a worldly point of view. Our time in India was difficult. Besides a tremendous amount of physical sickness on my part, there was a difficulty of learning another language, being misunderstood by those we were trying to reach. Add to that the hot climate, the lack of comfort, the struggle of adopting to diet and culture. It was not an easy time. But here's the question. Was it worth it? Well, here's a few pictures of some of these house churches. We went back three years ago. They're not there. Well, tell you, imagine for a moment (laughs) a lot of people gathered. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) man, what a team back there. Husband and wife. Thank you, Brandon and Jeannie. The dynamic duo back there. When we first went to India, we started with one family doing a Bible study. Now there's over 40 house churches. This is just one of them. That's another. And show me the third one. We pulled up three pictures. Is that? 
That's all of them? You showed them all? Good. There it is, there it is. And when we left, there were only six groups, and they kept on multiplying every time we'd go back and visit. And we would be seeing hundreds of people gathered when we'd come and visit them and know that there are perhaps even thousands that have come to Christ through that ministry. And I'm not sharing this to you to get any glory for myself, really. All I'm trying to do is help you see that when we invest our lives into something, even though there's difficulty attached to it, there can be great reward in this life. Do you think, with what we know today, that we ever even question, is it worth it? But I can tell you for certainty, you're number three, you're number four, you're number five, you're number six. I was like, is it worth it? Is it worth it? But now we have the luxury of time. The good news of the gospel is that as we invest our lives into others, into ministry, not only do we get transformed within, that's, that's great stuff, but we have the privilege of impacting people in the world. Uh, no matter what the gifting is, some of you may be teachers or go overseas as missionaries. Some of you may be simply serving behind the scenes or just sacrificially giving so this ministry can continue on. Whatever the sacrifice, all I can tell you, absolutely worth it 100-fold. You see, we need to understand the principle of growth over time. Throughout the entire chapter of Mark 4, Jesus lays out several parables that teach us about following Jesus and our willingness to put him first and the fruit over time. There's the parable of the sower and the seed. The parable of the seed growing. The parable of the mustard seed. Within Mark 4, we also find this exact same phrase, 100-fold. Now, these parables are given to us that we may know that when we accept God's word and his call on our lives to put Jesus first, no matter what the sacrifice, there's going to be a reward. There's going to be some degree of fruitfulness over time. God wants to encourage us that it is absolutely worth it when we put him first. God is not stingy. He's not a stingy God. He blesses us, rewards us when we obey and follow him. Within Mark 4, there's one verse that has spoken to me deeply over the years about this subject of sacrifice, obedience, and growth. Listen, Mark 4, 25, Jesus said this, To the one who has, more will be given. But to the one who doesn't have, even what he has will be given, taken away. What in the world is Jesus talking about? Is he trying to, is this like verbal jujitsu? Well, let me lay it out for you. To the one who has. Well, in the context, has what? The word of God. God in his life. To the one who has, more will be given to more what? More of the word of God. More impact on the world around us. To the one who has, more will be given. 
It's a beautiful promise of God piling it on when we point to him. But then Jesus warns us. But to the one who doesn't have, doesn't have what? The Lord, God's word. Putting God first. But the one who doesn't have, even what he has will be taken away. What does a man have when he doesn't have the word of God and God and his promises in his life? Can be the devil. But I think really one of the primary things Jesus is talking about here is the world, its possessions, our accomplishments, achievements, pleasures of this life. All these, God tells us, will one day be no more. Every one of them will be removed and we'll be standing, as Scripture says, naked before God. We came into this world naked, we'll go back to him naked. That's why we're encouraged to not love the world or anything in the world. The desires of the the eyes, the desires of the heart, the pride of life, these things, Scripture says, will one day be no more, but the one who does the will of God will endure forever. And that leads us to this last beautiful, beautiful truth, going back to Mark 10.30. Jesus reminds us that we would receive a hundredfold now in this time, but also, this is the good news right here, in the age to come. This is eternal life in heaven, a future reward, something to look forward to. You know, within this promise, we see persecution. Interestingly, that uh, Christ adds that, consistent with what Scripture teaches when it says, blessed are those who are persecuted. And by the way, this includes everything from family and friends rejecting you for Christ's sake, rejecting your faith, or being arrested and martyred, which many are suffering around the world as we speak. But Jesus is reminding us here that, that while we may have reward on earth, there's an awesome, awesome reward to look forward to future. Amen? And just so we don't get our minds confused on this, Jesus says in Mark 10, 31, many who are first will be last and the last will be first. What's Jesus saying to the disciples? This is God's doing. God is in charge here, not you. He's going to divvy it out the way he sees based on his justice, by the way. So as we finish up, I want us to ask a few questions here. Tough text, by the way. For those of you who are following Jesus, be encouraged. You know, the hassles along the way, the sacrifices you're making, whether they be financial, whatever your commitment of time, your talent, whatever you're giving to the Lord, worth it. Can I hear amen to that? Worth it. Keep giving, friends, to the things of God. 
you'll never regret storing up treasures for yourself in heaven. But if you're a believer here this morning and you're just discouraged, you're like, you know, maybe you're like Peter, struggling to see the payout. Maybe life has just got pretty difficult for you. You know Christ? I have one word for you. Perseverance. Perseverance. It comes up again and again and again in the scriptures. Persevere. Life will get difficult from time to time, and we're called by faith to continue following Jesus, persevering through it with the promise that he's watching and he'll reward. But if you're here this morning and you've never accepted Christ, Jesus as your Savior, be warned. A life invested in this life will one day be no more. A life invested in this life will one day be no more. To the one who has, even what he has will be taken away. This is a call for you to drop what you think is important what you think might be valuable, and put Jesus first. We begin this decision by acknowledging our sinfulness before him and putting our faith in him. And you know a miracle happens at that point? For every one of us, so many of us know this. The miracle is this. God forgives us and gives us a new life. A new life. And this is the promise, eternal life. The rich man who walked away back to his comforts, in the end lost everything. Think about that. But to the disciple who follows Jesus, even with persecutions, even with the hassles, with a cross, Jesus promises a 100-fold reward in this life and in the age to come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful, beautiful portion of Scripture. What a challenge, Lord, for us to put you first. We ask in Jesus' name to give us the will to make you Lord over everything, Lord, Help us not to leave this place untouched by the sober challenges of Scripture and the promise that if we're willing to to leave it all behind, that you'll reward those who've been faithful to you. In Christ's name, amen.